this morning, I, I wanted to tell a story because it was almost exactly a year ago, in fact, it was a year ago next weekend, that I first brought Caitlin down to the, the great nation of Texas, as Terry put it a few weeks ago. And this was Caitlin's first time to go to Texas, ever, uh, which, which is a, a big moment for, for anyone, I'm sure. And <laughs> though I'm not necessarily a Texas crazy kind of person, I am from there. And so I was excited for her to come and see my hometown, to see the house I grew up in, the high school I went to, the streets I learned to drive on, just all of that stuff. Um, and, and when she was coming to Texas, it wasn't just all of these things. She, she actually probably got a little bit more than she bargained for on the trip because this was not just a trip to Texas. This coincided with my dad and my stepmom's 25th wedding anniversary. And so Caitlin was going to get to meet the entire extended family that was coming to celebrate this moment. And, and so she just got thrown into this whole mix of people. And in addition to meeting my whole extended family, we also took some time to go visit some good friends that I had from college, and this included the roommate who I was invited to have pigs in a blanket with, if you remember that story from a couple weeks ago, and also a couple people who I got to actually go to Uganda with, if you remember that story from a couple of weeks ago. So these are the people that I was going back to see and visit, and, and Caitlin just took the deep dive into all these old friends and this family and, and everything. So we started the weekend out visiting the friends. And even though we weren't there to celebrate anything in particular with them, there was kind of this festive mood at our reunion and just being together again. And because we were in Texas, my friend decided to make homemade Tex-Mex for us. So we had tacos. They were delicious. This included his phenomenal guacamole recipe, as well as his sort of special secret family margarita recipe. And it was fantastic. So we sat around the table for hours. First, we had kind of just friendly conversation, catching up with each other, and of course, they were very eager to get to know Caitlin. But as the evening went on, uh, we began to reminisce and remember old times, and Caitlin got to hear stories about all the things that happened in college, the silliness that happens in guys' dorms, the fun and, and really wonderful moments of, of our community as it formed and gathered and, and all of that kind of thing. And, and it was just a really rich evening. Have any of you had uh, an evening like this, just gathered around with old friends, with, with memories and laughter and, and just good stuff? It was an evening of remembering, and it felt a lot like celebration. And so after that time with friends, we then went down to, to an actual celebration with my family. Uh, we were celebrating my dad and my stepmom's 25th wedding anniversary. And so Caitlin got to meet aunts and uncles and cousins from both sides of that family and a lot of old family friends who I'd grown up with at church and, and so on. And my dad even got up and gave a speech at some point and started to choke up and we were all feeling really sentimental and, and excited about all of these memories that were in the air. And it was a beautiful weekend. And like I said, probably a lot more than Caitlin bargained for when she was going down to Texas. Uh, she just got thrown into all of these people all at once. And I share these stories just kind of as a little example of what remembering looks like. Because sometimes, like with my college friends, remembering leads to celebration. 
right? We didn't gather to celebrate anything, but as we were together and sharing stories and remembering, it just took on this festive mode. And other times, like with my family, celebration leads to remembering. We gathered to celebrate their anniversary, but because of that, we started telling stories and looking at slideshows and photos of the past 25 years, and, and, and it was this beautiful time. And so no matter which way we go, these two things are linked together, remembering and celebration. And that's where we're going this week. So our text is going to be Psalm 136. If you want to turn there, if you have a Bible with you or some kind of device with the Bible on it. And while you're getting there, I'm going to review what we started last week and kind of where we're headed this week. So last week, if you were here, you know that we started this new series called Remembering God. And we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses tells the nation of Israel to remember God as they were just about to head into the promised land. And we said that remembering is so important because how we remember determines how we live. But the problem is that we are so prone to forgetfulness, right? And we said that remembering changes our perspective, both in celebration and in lament, that remembering is rooted in history, real people, and real events, and that we remember with our heart, hand, and home. We said that repetition is important, that physical reminders are helpful, and that decorating can be a spiritual practice. Do you remember that from last week? And I challenged you all to spend five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening with God. And I'm wondering, how's that been? Has anyone given that a shot this week? Um, awesome. I, I have to confess, evenings are really hard for me. Um, I'm, I'm more of a morning person. I kind of wake up charged. I love just waking up, making coffee, and having some quiet time to read and pray and think. Um, but in the evenings, I just kind of crash into bed. And that's usually just how my day ends without much intentionality or thought about it. And uh, it's, it's been a challenge for me to try to, to give some time at the end of my day to pause, reflect back on the day. Um, and I'll admit, I, I haven't done that every, every day this week. Um, but what a good challenge it is. And, and this isn't a checklist that we have to do. It's an invitation, right? And the invitation is, is still here for us this coming week. And so finally last week, we looked at when Israel actually crossed over into the promised land. And they set up this, this Ebenezer, right? This little pile of stones to remember the Lord. And we did the same thing here. That's why we have this stack of stones right here in front of us. And, and if you weren't here last week and able to participate in that, we have some extra um, stones and markers. We took some time at the end last week to grab a stone and write out something about God, who God has been for you how you want to remember God. So, so we've got extras down here. If you want to do that later today, uh, jump into that. Um, so that's where we were last week. And this week, we're zooming in to what it means to remember in celebration, that it changes our perspective amidst celebration. And so we're going to look at this celebratory psalm together. Psalm 136, and if you're there, if you see it on the screen, you'll notice that there is this repeating refrain throughout it over and over again. This psalm picks up right after Israel has already entered the promised land, and now they're looking back, remembering the stories and celebrating God. 
So as we read this, um, I want to read this together. And so I will read the, the white text, and then I want all of you to respond and read that gold line that repeats throughout. So let's read together. And, and one more thing. As we do this, I know that a lot of times uh, responsive reading can kind of become a bit of a drone where you just sort of do that. This is a psalm of celebration. So let's put some energy into it. Let's, let's just try that. Try that out. All right. Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, who alone does great wonders, who by understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth on the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, who struck Egypt through their firstborn, and brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, who divided the Red Sea in two, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, who led his people through the wilderness, who struck down great kings and killed famous kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his servant, Israel, It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for these songs of celebration that you have given to us in your word. This morning, as we dig into this text, I ask that you would give us sharp minds and soft hearts that we might know you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for for joining me in that and, and keeping it up. Uh, that was fun. So, so as usual, I want to take some time to look through this psalm kind of bit by bit. And overall, we'll see that it looks back 
on the story of Israel to remember and celebrate God's faithfulness in creation and in covenant. But before we get to that, we see in these opening verses that celebration is actually a command. It's a command and an invitation. And so looking back at these first three verses, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, who alone does great wonders. These verses are a command to thankfulness and celebration. Now, there are all kinds of commands like these throughout the Bible. There are psalms like this one that call the people to give thanks to the Lord, There are other psalms that ring out, praise the Lord, which is actually a song that we started with this morning. Praise the Lord, ye heavens, adore him. And these are are both proclamations and commands for, for all things to praise the Lord and to celebrate him. And if you look back up to the law, these first five books of the Bible, we actually see tons of commands to celebrate there as well. You may not think of Leviticus as a particularly riveting read, But it actually outlines the many feasts and festivals that God commanded Israel to keep. Leviticus is a book about throwing parties for God. I mean, really, it's a fun book. And most of you might be familiar with some of these. You might know about the Passover, right? Or the Pentecost, or the Day of Atonement. Maybe these are a few that we're familiar with. Others that you might be less familiar with is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is actually the season that follows the day of Passover. It's several days long. Uh, or similarly, you have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a season that follows the Day of Atonement. And so they don't just have holy days. They have holy seasons that they celebrate and practice together. And each one of these were commanded as times to look back and remember how God had acted in the life of Israel. And as they remembered, to celebrate that. Passover remembers when God spared the lives of Israel's firstborn children. And then it followed with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which remembers their hasty exodus from Egypt. Pentecost remembers when God made covenant with Israel and gave them the gift of the law. So to mark that covenant. And then later on, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths in other translations, remembers that all the years whenever they were wandering through the wilderness after that time at Mount Sinai. And so truly, Leviticus could be retitled, How to Throw Parties with God. But truly, each one of these feasts looks back to remember God and to celebrate. And then there are just as many commands to celebrate in the New Testament as well. Just a few weeks ago, we read where Paul calls us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Or another well-known verse is where Paul exhorts us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. The call to celebration was so important that Paul had to repeat himself. He had to say it twice. And maybe he needed to, because I don't know that we always do a great job of celebrating. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with Richard Foster. Uh, He is uh, a writer, and one of the things that he says is, is the most important benefit of celebration is that it saves us from taking ourselves too seriously. 
And I think that that is something that we probably suffer from a great deal. Uh, he, he goes on to say that, that this uh, practice of celebration is particularly important for church people because it is an occupational hazard of devout folks to become stuffy bores. May that not be true of us. And if it ever is, may we repent and celebrate, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We're told to do this again and again. And the psalm we're looking at today does this very same thing. The opening verses have this repeated command. Oh, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks to the Lord. And so it's this call to celebrate. It's this command to celebrate. But it's not just a dry command, right? These are dripping with reasons to celebrate. As we look at these first three verses, we celebrate because the God of gods and the Lord of lords is good and does great wonders. God of gods declares that God is supreme over the heavens. Lord of lords declares that God is supreme over the earth. God is greater than any other God who could be worshipped or any other authority who ever ruled or does rule. And this God who is greater than all of those things is good. And he does great wonders. And it says throughout the psalm, and it's probably still ringing in our ears right now, that he is a God whose steadfast love endures forever. And the word that is here, steadfast love, is a, is a very deep and a complex word that, that appears throughout the Old Testament. And that's why it's translated steadfast love and not just love. Because this isn't just any kind of love. It's a love that is bound to faithfulness. So it can be translated steadfast love. Another way of translating it could be loyal love. Or another way it's been translated is loving kindness. Right? It's bound to faithfulness, but not in a stoic and contractual way. Rather, it's always bursting forth with passionate faithfulness and kindness. This is a love that does not only keep commitments, but constantly pursues even greater depths. It's a love that wasn't satisfied in the beginning when the earth was formless and void. And so it spoke forth light and created. It's a love that would not settle with the injustice of people oppressed and enslaved, so God delivered them out of slavery into the promised land. This is not just a God who keeps commitments. It's a God who makes covenants. This is the love of God, the steadfast love of God that is always in constant pursuit of us and is always faithful and endures forever. And so these opening verses are no mere command to celebrate. They're cause to celebrate. This God who is over all things is not a God who has commanded us to grovel before him, but rather the God who actually commands us to celebrate. A God who commands fun and festivity for us, right? We celebrate his goodness and his great wonders. 
And so what are those, those great wonders? Well, that's what the rest of the psalm recalls and tells. And we see that the wonders of God are shown in creation and in covenant. So verses 5 through 9, remember and celebrate the wonder of creation. They tell of the God who by understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth on the waters, and who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, and the moon and the stars to rule over the night. And I think in a lot of ways this is an elaboration on verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods. Because other nations of that day looked to the heavens and to the waters. They looked to the sun and the moon for their gods. And they worshipped those things. But Israel knew that all of those things were created by the one true God. And we may look back on these ancient cultures and kind of think, oh, they were so primitive for worshipping the sun and the sea. But we're really no different. A few weeks ago, I mentioned a quote that our hearts are an idol factory. Just like those ancient cultures, we look for meaning in all kinds of things. Our hearts end up manufacturing all kinds of little gods. And for them, it may have been the heavens and the waters, but for us, it could very well be our jobs, our finances, our money, our possessions. For them, they may have had the greater light of the sun and the lesser light of the moon, but for us, it may well be the greater light of the television and the lesser light of the smartphone. These are the things that we order our lives around, the things that we bow down to, if we're really honest. So when we forget God, our hearts turn to all kinds of other things and, and manufacture little gods. But when we remember the Creator God, we know that He made all of those things. He created the heaven and the earth, the sun and the moon. All of these things are from God. And that transforms our life. Suddenly, we're not worshiping the sun, but rather gazing upon the beauty of a sunrise and giving thanks to God who made it. Suddenly, we're not controlled by our finances and resources, but rather trusting God who provides. When we remember God in creation, the whole world is transformed into a celebration memorial for God. Our idols are destroyed and our hearts are freed to celebrate the one true God of gods because his steadfast love endures forever. But God is not only the God of creation, he is also the God of covenant. And so verses 10 through 22 tell of how God kept his covenant with Abraham and established a covenant with Israel by bringing them out of Egypt and into the promised land by delivering them from Pharaoh and all the great famous kings and into their heritage, right? And so in many ways, these verses are kind of an elaboration on verse 3, just like the others were an elaboration on verse 2, that God is the Lord of lords, that he reigns over all earthly authorities, whether that's Pharaoh or the famous kings of the Amorites and Bashan. God rules over all. He is the Lord of all lords. So I want to say a couple of things about God and, and covenant. And first is that God keeps covenant 
with people from generation to generation. If we stretch back to Genesis, we'll remember that God made covenant with Abraham. He called him out. He said, I will bless you to be a blessing, that your descendants will number the stars, that I will give you a land to live in and be safe. And then the story unfolds over the course of generations, which might be another possible title for the book of Genesis. If we're just retitling books this morning, Leviticus is how to throw parties for God, and and Genesis is the generations of God, right? It's not only the story of the Genesis, the beginning, but it is the story of the generations, God's faithfulness ever since the beginning. And so the rest of Genesis follows Abraham down to Isaac, down to Jacob, down to his 12 sons, and how they ended up in Egypt, which is where Exodus picks up and where this psalm begins to retell the story, their deliverance from Egypt and into the promised land. God is faithful not only over the course of a lifetime, but over the course of many lifetimes, from generation to generation, The story of Scripture is a story of God's faithfulness from one generation to the next. But every generation is unpredictable, right? And yet, nonetheless, God remains faithful. And kind of a a sidetrack I want to go on is, is this great story about this that shows up in Exodus 34. Because God had just established covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, and he's given Moses the law as a sign of that covenant But when Moses comes down from the mountain, the Israelites had made a golden calf. They were making a scene and they were worshiping it. Do you guys remember this story at all? God is rightly furious. And Moses is too, right? Moses is so angry that he takes the the tablets that the law was written on, throws them to the ground, and and breaks them. And God is so mad that that he wants to destroy all the people and start over with Moses. But Moses prays, and he intercedes, he asks God to remain with his people, and he asks to see God's glory. And God says yes. And so there's this climactic scene where Moses has two new tablets of stone to reinstitute the law, and then he awaits the presence of God and the glory of God to pass before him. And this is incredible. But I think what's most amazing about the scene is what God says to Moses as he passes by. Because as as the Lord passes by Moses, he says to him, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So amidst Israel's rejection of him and denial of him, he declares himself to be a God of mercy and grace, abounding in steadfast love. And there's our word, the word that we've heard over and over again in this psalm. What he continues to say as he is passing before Moses is that sin truly does affect people and their children. It says to the third and fourth generation but that he keeps his steadfast love for the thousandth generation. And that's our word again. His steadfast love surpasses the effects of sin. 
It endures forever, from generation to generation. And no, God's love does not ignore sin, but it does forgive sin and redeems the people from it. And that's the second thing that I want to say about covenant. It is from generation to generation, but also covenant unfolds as a process. And this shouldn't be anything new to us. We've talked about this quite a lot over the last several weeks, that salvation is this ongoing process, that our relationship with God, that the redemption he's bringing to the world is this ongoing thing. And we see that here as well. Look at the movement that we see in verses 10 through 22, this section that we're talking about. In verse 11, it says that they are delivered out from Egypt. In verse 14, they're brought through the midst of the sea. In verse 16, they're brought through the wilderness. And then they finally arrive in the land in verse 21. And so the faithfulness of God is this movement out of, through, and into. That's how the faithfulness of God happens. Out of, through, and into. And I wonder what these things are for us, right? What has God delivered you out of? What is God helping you through? And what is God calling you into? These are the things that move us to celebrate. These are the things that spark joy in our hearts, right? God has not only delivered us out of sin and shame, but he is also delivering us into salvation and glory. And so I want to encourage you to maybe take some time this week to just ask some of those questions. Make a list. What are the things that God is delivering you out of? What are the things that he has delivered you out of? Maybe there's specific moments in your life you can remember that God has brought redemption to. And as you're listing those things, as you're thinking through those things, pause and celebrate. Give thanks to God for them. And then make another list. What are the things that God is delivering you into? Scripture is filled with promises from God. But there are also things right here and now that I'm sure you're experiencing, whether that's healed relationships, opportunities to serve, or even just the hope of eternal life. We can write these things down and pause to celebrate them, right? And as we pause to remember and to celebrate, we become aware of what this psalm says is God's strong hand and outstretched arm, his activity in our life. He is actively faithful because his steadfast love endures forever. And so finally, we reach the conclusion of this celebration psalm in verses 23 through 26. These verses reflect back on the whole psalm. It says, He remembered us in our low estates in Egypt. He rescued us from our foes, those famous kings. And he gives food to all flesh in creation. Right? Just reviewing all the things he's already praised God for. And then finally, it ends back where it began. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. And while these final verses look back on the psalm as a whole, 
There's a subtle and yet, I think, profound difference in them. Did you notice it? As they look back on and remember these things, the language shifts. Because up until now, the story is being retold somewhat objectively. God brought Israel out from Egypt. He gave their land as a heritage. But here in these final verses, it becomes really personal. It says, he remembered us in our low estate. He rescued us from our foes who gives food to all flesh. Present tense, gives food to all flesh. Do you see that? Last week I said that remembering is rooted in history. And it is. But remembering is altogether different than simply stating facts about the past. Remembering is actually participating in the past. And that's why It leads to celebration. Because we can study history, we can learn about various wars that have been fought and won, but we don't stop and celebrate them, right? Because they happened back then to those people. But the psalmist here is not just recounting facts about Israel. The psalmist remembers and celebrates because it is not just them that God delivered, it is us. And just like God's faithfulness stretches across generations, so does our faith. When Israel remembers God as they eat the Passover feast, they don't just remember a God who saved them, but rather the God who saved us and is saving us. They eat that feast with their ancestors. And I think in the same way, when we come to the table of the Lord every week, we don't just remember a long time ago when Jesus broke bread with his disciples. We are actually sitting at that table with the disciples. We receive the body and the blood of Christ with them and with all the saints throughout history. We remember and we celebrate We participate in that story. Just like Israel had feasts and festivals to remember and celebrate God, we do too. At Christmas, we remember and celebrate when Christ came to dwell among us. At Easter, we remember and celebrate when Christ died and rose to new life to deliver us from death and sin. And at Pentecost, we remember and celebrate when God gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit to renew our hearts. These are not just stories that we tell in an old book. These are memories that we participate in, that we celebrate. These are not just things that happened back then to those people. These are things that are still happening here and now. Because God's steadfast love endures forever. And so when we remember God's steadfast love, we look back on the great wonders of his faithfulness in the past. And we look forward to the great hope that we have in our future. But for now, we celebrate. And so I want to end by reading 
the beginning and end of this psalm together once more. It should be on the screen again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Who alone does great wonders. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. And he rescued us from our foes. He gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Amen.